You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Today, I'm excited. We're going to be starting a new series today. You excited for a new series? Yeah. yeah. No? Okay. I can bring the baby up. Maybe that'll help, you know. Today we're starting a new series that we're calling Summer Letters, where we're going to be diving into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and just exploring what's happening there. So if you have your Bibles today, I invite you to pull those out. 1st John is all the way towards the back, or if you're on your apps, scroll all the way down. It's almost all the way down as we dive into the Summer Letters. A little bit of background as you're turning there, as we look at Summer Letters, and really any passage in the Bible, it's always important to look at who wrote it and why they wrote it. We want to get into the context of what's going on. What was happening in the author's life as this was going on? So when we look at 1 John, we know that this was written by John the Beloved. Does this guy sound familiar to anybody? John Beloved, this is the one who reclined next to Jesus at the Last Supper. Often in those days, instead of sitting in chairs, they would actually eat lying down. Every time I lie down eating, I'm going, I'm being like Jesus, baby, that's all. Okay? So they reclined next to him. John was also the one who stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. John the Beloved is also the one that Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to. John witnessed the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning, and John also spoke and ate breakfast by the lake with Jesus after he resurrected a breakfast that Jesus made for them on the beach. How cool is that to come in? Here's Jesus resurrected, and he's making breakfast for you. So this is John, this is the author, so if anyone was qualified to write about who Jesus was, it is John. He was there, he saw it. And listen to what he writes, this is 1 John 1, starting in verse 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched even with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete, so that our joy may be complete. So John was there, he saw these things, he's writing it, but now the purpose of his writing, it's not only to declare who Jesus is, but it's also to say that we are to have fellowship one with another. He's trying to broaden that circle and say, Jesus came, we have fellowship with him, but we also need to have fellowship with each other. But there's also a third thing that John is doing here. Because John was also, he was writing this letter in response to an early form of Gnosticism. How many of you have heard of Gnosticism before? So Gnosticism comes from that Greek word gnosis, which literally means knowledge. And one commentator describes it this way. They described it as a religious mysticism that pirated Christian motifs to propagate an understanding of salvation based on esoteric knowledge. See, in Gnosticism, redemption is through the affirming of the divine light that is already in the human soul. 
not through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus' death and resurrection to make us new. In Gnosticism, there is no spiritual rebirth. So John is writing this to encourage and say, no, it's not just about knowledge. It is about confession and repentance and receiving Jesus, the resurrected Christ, as your Savior. So he's writing it. So listen to what he writes. And actually, I'd like to invite you to read this. Let's read from up here. This is 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. And if you're following along, I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Would you read with me? This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin." If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. His word is not in us. Powerful words. So, Heavenly Father... We thank you for this word of truth today. Lord, soften our hearts. Holy Spirit, fill us. Soften our hearts. Let the ground of our lives be fertile ground that you can plant your truth into. And let it grow. Let it grow deep. And use us today as we receive from your word. And everyone who's ready to receive from God says together, Amen, amen. So as we look at this passage today, we're going to be focusing in on three things. And I invite you, if you've got a program coming in today, there's a listening guide in there that you can kind of follow along on, and it kind of outlines these areas. But three things we're looking at. First of all, the first thing is that God is light. Everyone say, God is light. light. And the second thing is, we're invited to walk with him. Say, "Walk walk with him. But to do this, this requires confession. Say, confession. Confession. So God is light. We're invited to walk with him. But to do this, it requires confession. So here we go. 1 John 1 verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. So the first thing out of the gate is like God is light. And when we leave and look at creation, the first thing that God created was what? Light. Let there be light. Bang. No clapper. He just said, let there be light. And the light was turned on. This was his first act. And see, we know that nothing happens without light. What does light do? Light reveals. When you lose something, what what do you do? You start shining a flashlight around, right? When you're trying to find something under a bed, you get a flashlight and you put it in. When someone is sick and they go to a doctor and the doctor's trying to figure out what's going on, what does the doctor do? He or she will take a, a stronger light to look at it. Or maybe a kid comes up and they say, my throat is sore. What what do you do? You have them open their mouth, you get your iPhone light, you look down, you go, whoa! It's going to be okay. But you get a light because light, it reveals what's going on. But see, light also gives us warmth. See, without light, our world would be an icy, cold, uninhabitable piece of rock in our solar system. We need light. And even the way that we're positioned, we know from scientists that even the way that our earth is positioned, the way that it's tilted, it is perfectly set in the light 
to receive the warmth that we need. We know, like every third grade scientist knows, that life on earth is dependent on light. Our plants are dependent on the sun through the process of photosynthesis. Sunlight not only supplies them with energy, but also controls all the developmental steps. And this is our food. Everything that we eat, it starts there. It starts there. How many say amen to food? All right. Go out and grill your asparagus on the grill. That's a beautiful thing to do. Okay? But we, but we also know beyond all those things that our brains, everyone hold your brain in your hands, our brains need light. Our brains need light. Now, we know that light deprivation can cause depression, but scientists have also discovered that light is vitally important for brain function and survival. Listen to this. Neuroscientists at the University of Pennsylvania kept rats in the dark for six weeks. The animals not only exhibited depressive behavior, but they also suffered brain damage in regions known to be underactive in humans. See, light is vitally important. And even when we look at the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, light symbolized both knowledge and purity, especially as you read through the book of Genesis and Isaiah. Light is often referenced, and it means knowledge and purity. Knowledge? Who is the source of all knowledge? God. He's our creator. He made everything. He's the only one that has total perspective on everything. So God is knowledge. But it also references purity. See, purity, it references that truth that there's no falsehood. It is pure truth. It's pure morality. And it's worshiping God only. Jesus even said in John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light, vitally important. And as it relates to God, there is no darkness in God. How much darkness? None. There is no darkness in God at all. When we look at the Bible, and the Bible talks about darkness, darkness often represents sin. It's that absence of light. It's that rejection or the absence of God because God is light. See, when light is present, darkness is absent. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is no sin in God. None. No sin in God. And see, as we look at this, we also need to realize and be reminded that light and darkness does not coexist. Let me say that again. Light and darkness does not coexist. Have you ever found light to be offensive to people who like darkness? Okay, go into a tent at 3 a.m. in the morning and start shining a light around and see if you start offending some people. Hypothetically. <laughs> right? When I was uh, doing a water well project, I was blessed to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for water wells in Africa. And our breakfasts were often very early in the morning. And so you're just waking up, it's very dim, but you would have some guy come in with a headlamp and be going in saying, hey, what's for breakfast? And he'd be shining the light in people's eyes. We're like, we're about to throw it at you. Turn off that light. It's very offensive. When you like the darkness, light can be very offensive. Because see, darkness is loved by those who are trying to hide. Or by those who are trying to sleep. Or by those who are trying to cover up rebellion. Because darkness creates that place to hide. And this creates that tension 
Because when you bring light into a room, there's often an unspoken judgment and attention there. Because when there's darkness and you bring in light, it's like, what are you doing? Are you saying light's better than darkness? Are you saying that you got a flashlight now, so you're in charge, so you're in control, you know what's right? And why don't you want to walk in darkness? Have you ever experienced that tension? When you try to bring truth into a situation or you try to speak into it or you, you try to speak God's word and there's this tension there or even just walking in and just people know who you are. There's that tension that's there when it's not accepted, not received because God is light. So God is light, but this kind of addresses that next point that we are to walk with him in the light. As believers and followers of Christ, we are to walk with him. Here's what John says in, uh, in verse 6 through 7. He says, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, this is the power of the gospel. The gospel is a life of walking with God. Jesus invites us to walk with him, to be with him, and this is not a casual relationship. This is not a God on the side. This is not you just call him up or you text him when you're ready. This is 24-7, I am walking with God. He is alive, living, and breathing in me. The Bible even says that we are yoked together with Christ, which means that where Jesus goes, we go. When Jesus stops, we stop. When he looks up, we're looking up. We're yoked together with him. It is tied together in us. This is discipleship. But John's also saying that beyond that, there's even there's this fellowship with each other in the light. See, walking with God, it gives us greater fellowship with each other. When God is in us and alive in us, our relationships, they're unified. They're strengthened as we walk with God. They're built on that. We see this through Ephesians and Philippians and the book of Romans. And Jesus even said in John 17, he said, May all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, walking in the light with God, it makes us better friends. If you want Dwayne to be a better friend to you, you better pray that I'm walking in the light. Stephanie prays for me to walk in the light because she knows that's going to make me a better husband. You know, kids, you better pray that your dad's full of God because that's going to make me a better dad. You know, I always say, if it's good, it's God. If it's bad, that's just Dwayne. <laughs> right? If it's good, it's all glory to God. But if it's bad, if something went wrong, that's, that's me. That's me. Because, see, walking in the light should also be obvious to others. When you walk in the light, it changes things. When you walk in the darkness and you've got a flashlight in your hand or it's radiating from you, it changes everything. There's no hiding, especially in a dark culture. And in the culture that we are in, light stands out. It is obvious. It is not hidden. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when we walk in light, we carry and we take on the characteristics of that light. Remember those characteristics? Light, it reveals, it causes growth, it brings food, it nourishes, and it brings warmth. And it pushes out the darkness. It's the power of light. See, light should be obvious, 
Because we know from the teachings of Christ that there is fruit in our lives. When we are alive in him, when we're walking in the light, there is fruit in our lives. Matthew 7 says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. See, when we walk in the light, we're reflecting who God is. His truth is alive in us, but also that purity of life. See, walking with God, it purifies my life. Now, this is a process that results from deep fellowship. See, deep fellowship brings deep cleansing. Let me say that again. Deep fellowship with God, it brings about deep cleansing. See, the neighborhood that I grew up in as as a kid, I grew up in a neighborhood where it was just wilderness everywhere, and we had that freedom and that safety where we would get up in the morning when the sun came up at dawn, I would go dig some worms, go to my best friend's house, throw a rock at his window, he'd get his fishing rod, go out, we would go pull a carrot out of the ground on the way, and we'd be off fishing all day. Now imagine how we looked when we came back to our house. Do 10-year-old boys care if they're dirty or not? No. (laughs) My mom would often stand outside the house with a garden hose and just hose me off before I could even come near our back porch. I would be covered. There would be evidence of fish in my life. There would be evidence of mud in my life. There would be evidence of the entire day in my life. And often I wouldn't even change my clothes before I went off. But everyone knew when my mom came into my life. Why? Oh, Dwayne's cleaner now. He smelled. He combed his hair. His teeth are clean. See, there's evidence. And just like there's evidence of when my mom came into my life, when God comes into our life, there's evidence because there's this deep cleansing. And it's a process. Because, see, there are things that you can take a garden hose to and you can wash off. My mom was able to wash that off. But there's some things that happen during the day. Maybe I had a fight during the day. Do 10-year-old boys fight sometimes? Yeah. 10-year-old girls do too. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm just speaking from my context, okay? But there were things deeper in me, insecurities, anger, those kind of things that a garden hose is not going to wash off that my mom had to sit down with me. She had to pray with me. She had to walk with me. Why? Because there's a process. But there is a process, and my mom saw it and she spoke to it. This is what our Heavenly Father does. That deep fellowship with God, it brings about this deep cleansing. Some things just wash away, and some things, it's a process. How many testify to that, right? Hello, my name is Dwayne, and I'm a sinner. All right? There's been a lot of garden hoses applied to my life. (laughs) And there's some deep cleansing, some things going through, but there's a process going through, but we continue to walk in that. It's that process. See, this is why John says, walking in darkness, but claiming fellowship with Christ is a lie, because there is that process that goes on. 1 John 1, 5, it says, if we, have, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, let me be, be clear in this. John didn't say, he didn't say, if you stumble in darkness, you lie. How many have stumbled? Right? He's not saying if you stumble... When he talks about walking in darkness, we're talking about this deliberate choice. We are choosing darkness. We want to hide our sin instead of dealing with it. And we accept the sin, and we even stop the fight. And oftentimes that's a temptation, isn't it? 
Because some things wash off, some things are deeper, and you go, well, this is all just good. I'll just forget about it. But God's saying, no, I am light. Let me do this hard, deep work in your life. So it's not that we stumble and fall. It's that we ignore it and we walk away and we go, I'm going to hide this from the world and from everybody else. It's walking in darkness. Does God own part of us or all of us? All of us. It is all total surrender. And see, walking in darkness and claiming the light, all that it does is it creates a counterfeit. And a counterfeit confuses others, but it also confuses yourself because it gets to the point where you, you don't know what's real and what's fake anymore. You're, you're using real money, you're using fake money, it all looks the same to you. But see, God has poured grace into our lives. And this is part of that process because even when we stumble, what does God do? God does what Paul says here in Romans. He says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is our loving Father. When we fall, when we stumble, and there's sin in our life, what does God do? He starts pouring grace into our life to raise us up, to help us, to turn to him. But Paul also goes on, and he continues that thought in Romans 6, to show us that grace doesn't justify our sin. Here's what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too might walk in newness of life. So it's not about saying, I'm walking in grace. I can do whatever I want. I can hurt whoever I want. I can let my actions do whatever. That's not what it's about. God pours grace in our life to bring us back to him. Not that sin may abound, but that sin can be forgiven, and God can do that deep work in us. Some is washed off. Some is by miracle. There have been some deep things that God's just reached in me and just pulled out. And there's other things that are there, like what Paul describes as a thorn in the flesh. Have you been there? Now, for me, I wish God would just do everything and just take me and kind of melt me down and bring me back up as a perfect Dwayne. That's called heaven. Okay? But right now, there are things that we walk in, things that are there, things that get pulled. And who do we trust in all that? We trust God. He owns us. He made us. He's walking that out. And that brings us to our final point this morning. Because God is light. We're invited to walk in Him. But walking in the light... It will always cause and create confession. It's that act of repentance. John here says, if we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. His word is not in us. Now, I try to be very vulnerable and very honest because God said it. God said, Dwayne, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. So, okay, hands in the air. This is the life that we walk in. This is why Martin Luther's first thesis was this. The, he said this. He said, the entire life of believers should be repentance. It's this act See, confession, it creates and it invites others into community. When we confess our sin, when we are open about it, it creates community and it invites others into community because we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes in his book, Life Together. Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, sin demands 
to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from community. And the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. Do you hear the destructive nature of unconfessed sin in our lives? This is why hypocrisy is always absent of confession. See, people aren't surprised when we make mistakes. Being Christians, followers of Christ, if we say we make mistakes, they're not surprised by that. What is irritating is when we stand up and we say that we're perfect, that we never make mistakes. That's hypocrisy. Confession needs to be in our mouth because, see, that vulnerability and that confession, it creates that room for others. That's why we have ministries here like Celebrate Recovery and Pure Desire where men and women can get together and talk about things that are going on in their life, creating a safe place to come in and talk about it and deal with it. This is so important. The thing for Celebrate Recovery is hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Who has any of those? Hurts, habits, and hang-ups, right? Yeah, it's it's just part of it. This is who we are as the body of Christ. It needs to be there. Because, see, there is no relationship with God without confession. This act of confession is the first step to coming to God because we need to acknowledge that we we have a need. When we confess, it reveals who we are. We're sinners. But with Jesus, we're sinners saved by grace because confession, it also reveals who Jesus is, our rescuer, But in order to be rescued, you need to recognize that you need help. Have you ever tried to help somebody that couldn't admit they needed help? Okay. I've seen some people in disastrous places that would never say, I need help. I've seen kids almost drowning. Let me help you. No, I'm fine. I'm okay. I've seen people cut. Hey, can I help you get something to that? No, I'm fine. It'll heal up. I don't need this cut to be addressed. We need to admit that we need help. Confession is that first step. Allowing that to come into our life. And just a side note in this, I think we also need to recognize the difference in temptation and sin. Because see, there are times that we're going to be tempted, but to be tempted is not sin. Satan went to Jesus and tempted him. Did Jesus ever sin? No, he never sinned. And I think for us, and this is something that I really try to encourage my kids in, instead of waiting until you give in to temptation or allowing that to sit in your heart, when you're tempted, talk about it. Come talk to me about it. Let's deal with it then right at its source. Because what did Jesus do? When Satan tried to tempt him, he immediately brought the word of God into it and it was gone. And so many times in my life, I don't think in all of our lives, we allow temptation to come in and to get its root, and we get so far down the road, maybe we didn't feel safe going to somebody, or maybe we enjoyed it and we liked it, and then it gets rooted deep. But how awesome if we could be a community of people, we're like, you know what, I'm being tempted by this, where I can go to Wayne and say, Wayne, you know, uh, this temptation's coming at me, and to know Wayne's not going to be like, well, you're, you're, you're fired, Dwayne, we don't want a pastor who's tempted. 
But I know I can go to Wayne and Wayne's going to be like, all right, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's have a coffee together. Let's, let's go get a slice of pizza or whatever. You know, let's be together and fellowship with one another. Right then. And when people come or when you go to somebody and you go, this is a sin that's hidden in my life that I need help with, that we're saying, man, I'm with you. I'm with you. Because are you the answer? No. Jesus is the answer, but we need to know how to walk together. And sometimes you're walking as individuals. Sometimes you're going to ministries that help you in these areas or talking different ones. But we need this culture where we can openly talk to each other about this because this is the beginning of all relationship. And this is the culture that Shoreline Community Church needs to be known for, that when we come and we confess, we're not judged, but we're brought to Jesus and we're brought into fellowship with one another. And when we say, you know what, I'm being tempted in this area, we say, hey, so am I. Let's pray for each other. Let's help each other. Let's walk in this together. Do you know what kind of friendship is made over that? What kind of connection is made over that? Because now you're being vulnerable, the other person's being vulnerable, and together you're going to Jesus together and you're walking in it. Because like I said, some things you take a garden hose and you wash it off, and some things it's a process, and it takes time. And sometimes it's a miracle. That's not mine to decide, that's God's to decide. And we need to be careful that we don't become God in those situations, right? Amen? That we say, he's God, I'm not, but I'm walking with you. I'm going to love you in that. And can you pray for me about this? Can you help me with this? Can you walk with me with this? Can you go with me to this ministry that helps in these areas? Because see, confession, it brings forgiveness and it brings freedom to our lives. It brings forgiveness to our lives, but it also brings freedom. It brings that pathway to freedom. Walking in that, knowing that he's with us. See, we need forgiveness. We need to receive forgiveness, but we also need to give forgiveness. And I'm not talking about the kind of forgiveness that Jesus gives, but sometimes when somebody offends you, have you ever been offended? Somebody ever says something to you and you're like, oh, man. We need to be willing to forgive. Because when I think about the worst offense that someone's ever done to me, I've offended Jesus much more. I've rejected the one who died for me, the one who laid his life down for me. There's times I've pushed that back. There's times I've hidden things. Just like that little kid coming back from fishing that had it all over him. My mom wanted to wash me. I'm like, Mom, I'm I'm good. I don't don't need that. We need to have this as a part of us. We need to forgive others and ourselves. This is only possible through God. And only when we realize that God forgives us are we able to forgive others. If you're somebody that you've not received a lot of forgiveness in your life, it's very hard for you to forgive others, isn't it? When you've been on the brunt end of judgment, lack of forgiveness, it's very hard for you to say, well, I'll forgive that person because you're hurt. There's things going on. So we need to bring it to Jesus and recognize what John says here, that if we forgive our sins, God is faithful. What does faithful mean? Always. How many times is God going to forgive you? Oh, how many times? Are you sure? How many times? Always. He is faithful and just when you conf- confess your sins. He will always, always forgive you. And it also said that he is just to forgive our sins. Just means he is right. It is pure. But he will also, it says that, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a cleansing process that happens. He washes us. 
You can't wash yourself. This is something that only Christ can do. Only Christ can dig deep. Only Christ can do that. We're made to be together for the purpose of encouraging each other and talking about the truth of Christ and encouraging us in this. But the cleansing part, that's a work of Jesus Christ, alive in us, present in all of us, encouraging each other. He is the only one who's able to release us from sin, from the price, and from guilt and shame. Will Jesus ever shame you? No. Will Jesus ever shame you? No. Shame is not his way. That's what Satan does. If there's shame, now the Holy Spirit convicts us and makes us aware of it to bring to him. But when we bring it to God, God's not there to say, well, finally. Why did it take you so long? Why should I forgive you? Those words are never in God's mouth. Those are Satan's. There's two voices in this world. There's God and there's Satan. And, they're out, and there's a war for your soul going on. What God does, God says, yes. He's like that dad just waiting. He can't wait to see you turn your face towards him and run to him. Not because he's insecure, but because he loves you. Because he leaves the 99 to go for the one and say, yes, you're finally here. Come, confess your sin. But he's also not going to cover it over. He's not going to be like, oh, we don't need to deal with that. Just come on in. He's going to say, you know what? I care enough about you. I want you to be healthy. Because if this sin stays in your life, it's going to destroy you. And it's going to destroy your family around you. It's going to destroy your relationships. He will always say, I love you. Come on in now. Let's deal with it. Let's start going deep. Let me reveal to you who I am. Let me show you that way. It's faithful. It's just. He will cleanse us. And even for us as a community, one of, you know, our, our mission is to love our neighbor. Because God said, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor. Because if you can't love, God, love your neighbor who you do see, how can you love God? This only comes as we walk in the light. As we confess our sins. As we allow it to flow out from us. Amen? It's the work of God. My prayer is that Shoreline Community Church would be a safe place that we can come together. Where we welcome it. Where we feel comfortable sharing things, talking about things, where we welcome people no matter who they are, no matter who they are, even Canadians like me, whoever we are, and that we can have these conversations because they're going to be deeper conversations to have. There are challenges, aren't there? But everything begins with this act of walking in the light with God and saying, God, you are my God. Forgive me of my sin. Forgiving others. Being a place where we can go and help. How many of you have ever needed help from somebody? Just, just, lift, just lift your hands. I, lift your hands if you've ever needed help from anybody. <laughs> Hold them up. I want everyone to look. If you've ever needed help from anybody, this is not a, I'm not taking an offering right now or anything, okay? <laughs> if you've ever needed help, hold them up high, and I want you to look around at everybody who's ever needed help. Look, look around. You've ever needed help. Ever needed help. This is everybody. We shouldn't be ashamed of this. 
We live in a world that tries to say independence. You can do it on your own. You can do all that. I'm here to say you can't do anything without Jesus Christ. And we need each other. And if we would model that aspect of what Jesus did. Jesus gathered people around. He built community. He had his 12 disciples. If we would walk in that, what effect would we have on our neighborhood? What effect would we have in our families when we can talk about these things? When we can come together and we go to Christ. And when we need help, we have a community of people that we can go and talk to and be like, it's a safe place. I can go to them. There's somebody that I can go to. And not just once. If you've ever dealt with chronic sickness, you know that oftentimes when you go for that first thing for healing and you, and, and you, you pray, but then nothing happens. So you go again and you say, hey, would you pray for me in this? And nothing happens. You get down the road, you start to not want to ask for prayer, right? How wonderful to be a community when it's like, you know what, I, I, I see you. I know you're still in pain, and I know that God still loves you, and I know he's with you, so we're going to keep praying in this. We're going to keep praying in this. We're going to walk with you in this. And this is all rooted in walking in the light and confessing our sins. Amen? As the worship team comes this morning, our response today, Jesus gave us a great illustration of what it means to walk with him and confession. It's the Lord's table, it's communion. And I'd like to invite the ushers, if you would, to go ahead and get the elements and just to go ahead and come down forward to your stations and then I, I want to pray over you before we disperse it. Because I'm, I'm going to walk you through this and this will be our response today. And as the ushers are coming to the front, and please don't disperse them yet, just go ahead and come forward and then we'll pray together. Here's a couple of questions as we prepare to receive and to celebrate communion today. A couple of questions. Where is the light of Christ creating tension in your life? Now think about this. The light of Christ, is it creating tension for you at home? Is it creating tension for you at work because Jesus is radiating from you and there are people that it's hard for them, it's offensive to them? Or maybe it's with you. Maybe there's areas that God's going, I want to shine a light on that. But you're going, I'm not ready for that. Where is it causing tension for you? As you look at your life, say, where is the fruit, that fruit of Christ, of our life, evident? And even say, God, what fruit am I lacking? Is it peace? Is it patience? Is it joy? Where is it difficult for me? Ask yourself this morning, is confession a regular part of my life? Is that a part of my discipline? That I regularly confess to the Lord, and there's times that I go to those that I trust. Maybe it's your spouse, a close friend, a pastor, and saying, you know what? I need to confess something. I need help in this. Is that a normal part of your life? And then what steps, and this is an important one, what steps do you need to take today in your walk? In your walk with God today, what steps do you need to take? Maybe it's salvation. Maybe you're here today and you're going, Dwayne, I don't know the Lord, but I want to receive him. You can today. That's the first step. And all it means is just saying, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Fill my life. I want your spirit to be alive in me. My life is yours. As the ushers disperse the elements, I'd like for you to take them, hold on to them, and specifically say, 
God. David prayed this prayer. The apple of God's eye prayed this. He said, reveal to me my unknown sin. Reveal to me anything that is getting in the way. Show me, Lord, and just hold on to that. And then take the cup. The worship team is going to lead us in this song. And then I'll come back up to the end. But take this moment to process, Jesus, what would you say to me today? What parts of my life need healing? Maybe this is hard for you because you feel like you've been on the brunt end of things. Confess that to the Lord. Confess that to the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and hold on to the elements and after the worship team leads us, I'll come back and lead us in communion. Amen.